Welcome to the third IPM podcast sponsored by the Minnesota IPM program here at the University of Minnesota. I'm Bill Hutchison, coordinator of the IPM program, and today we have Dave Nikolai co-hosting our podcast with U of M Extension and the Ag Professionals program. Today we have Dr. Ken Osley with us. He's an extension entomologist and professor in the Department of Entomology at the University of Minnesota. We're really excited to get some insect pest updates for corn, what's been happening so far this spring and early summer. To get started, I think we'll just turn it over to Ken and give us a little more background on his experience. Well, good morning, Bill and Dave, and welcome to our audience out there. My name is Ken Osley. I've been an extension entomologist at the University of Minnesota since 1984. I grew up in western Minnesota, so I have memories of some of the pests hitting my father's fields during the course of growing up. Adventures like picking up corn from European corn borer infestations, gleaning the fields, as it were. So I was intrigued during my graduate training by the interaction of plants and insects. Combined with my farm background, it led me to an interest in integrated pest management. And my focus over the years has been in corn and soybeans, most recently focused on corn only. But there's been a progression kind of of hot topics that we've addressed over the years, ranging from how to manage European corn borer in Minnesota, gathering data relevant to the state and different parts of the state to extended diapause, biotype of a northern corn rootworm, to the development of new technologies, beginning first with the seed treatments and later with transgenic traits, and finally the development of resistance by insects to some of those insecticides or traits. So the thing I like about insects is that they are always a challenge. Every year is different. And adaptation of insects can be phenomenal to observe. Obviously, a key complex or key pest that's been on everybody's mind in recent years is the corn rootworm complex, both western and northerns in Minnesota. I have been common, but before we get into western corn rootworm, I think Dave has a question about black cutworm. Well, Ken, uh, this has been a really an, an unusual year, obviously, in the terms of the weather fronts and, and so forth coming through here. As Bill mentioned, to talk about some of the other insects, can you give us maybe a little brief overview of where we are right now with black cutworm in terms of corn height? We know that there's planting delays in very extreme southern Minnesota resulted in, in later planting smaller corn. But again, the heat units uh, have rapidly progressed as well. So let's just take a minute or so here to talk a little bit about that before we move back and talk about corn rootworms. Well, of course, we've had multiple flights of black cutworm into Minnesota. What it really boils down to with cutworms and corn is essentially a race, and it's a race that develops along two dimensions. The first one is the progress of field work. Cutworm females are attracted to crop residue and early season weed growth. And so the pace of field work takes those fields out of the equation as attractive egg-laying sites. And the second dimension of the, the race is literally related to the temperature and corn development and how that relates to cutworms. 
broadly stated, cooler conditions favor more damage from black cutworms, as does earlier flights, whereas warmer temperatures, like we've been seeing the last couple weeks, favors the rapid growth of corn, and literally corn can outgrow the ability of black cutworms to cut plants. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. We've got, of course, in Minnesota, a wide range of planting dates out there, but anything that was planted around the time of the black cutworm flights, slightly before it, by this point is largely beyond the cutting ability of black cutworms. So the take-home message here is if it's later planted corn, particularly in residue situations, those are probably the fields to be scouting and taking a look at. Well, let's move on to uh, talk a little bit more about another complex of, of uh, insects. And if you think back to this spring, we had really a cool late spring. You know, we had a snowstorm in April, and then there was a lot of planting delays. Uh, how does that line up with the uh, historical and the expected corn rootworm hatch and growth and development of corn? And then we had, of course, you know, those extremely hot temperatures. Now, the last week in May, anywhere between 90 to 100 degrees. So I guess the bottom line is, is there a mismatch here between uh, some of the root biomass and the corn rootworm larvae and the egg hatch? How are things timing out here for 2018? It's kind of interesting over the years that the timing of, you know, a corn rootworm hatch and corn development seems to be synchronized fairly well. In other words, because both corn and corn rootworms have a fairly similar response to soil temperatures, no matter what disrupt things, we tend to have more synchrony than you might expect. But... Where it comes into play with corn rootworms this year is we have such a wide range of planting dates. Earlier planted corn, you know, that's now around V5, V6, that corn is all producing a root system that will be easily colonized. But when we're starting to talk about some of those fields out there that may be V2 or V3, uh, we can see a reduction in successive colonization. So planting date can have an effect, and the later planting date typically occurs. The smaller the root system, the poorer the colonization, and the threat of damage is reduced in those fields. Getting into corn rootworm biology and management for 2018 in a little more detail, I know one of the questions on the minds of a lot of growers and crop consultants is where we might be at in the state for BT resistance in uh, corn rootworm this year. And so we're just curious if you can give us an update. Obviously, Minnesota has been one of the states that's been hit pretty hard in recent years with, with BT resistance. Can you give us an update on that and what you might expect to see this coming year? A quick sketch on where we're at in terms of BT resistance development would be that Evidence of problems probably peaked around 2013, 2014. Since then, we've had a decline in the frequency of observable problem fields, in large part to shifts in grower behavior, becoming more aggressive about corn rootworm management, switch from single rootworm trait hybrids to pyramids of two and nowadays even three rootworm active traits, 
and increasing use of soil insecticide. And probably the biggest factor is, is increasing use of crop rotation. For all of those reasons, we've seen a reduction in the frequency of issues. And the thing that growers may not be thinking too much about, but that's been incredibly important, are weather effects on this whole situation. The winter of 2013 to 14 was extremely cold, somewhat reminiscent of what we saw this last year, and it had a big effect on western cornworm populations, so that reduced the threat. Just to backtrack slightly and remind our listeners that we've seen no evidence of resistance development yet in northern cornworm. It's only been western cornworm where we've seen the problem. So that means we don't have to worry about the extended diapause aspects when it comes to Bt resistance problems. And instead, we're just looking at corn on corn. The one caution I give everybody is that while the appearance of problems has diminished, the intensity of resistance in rootworm populations has not diminished. It's still extremely high. And so all it takes is a two or three years of conditions favoring buildup of rootworms, and we could see problems appearing once more. Ken, without getting into the details of uh, individual traits, can you just maybe make a comment or two about some of the things that are out there in terms of traits that people might have that they should be watching a little bit more closely? In terms of looking at, you know, the spectrum of traits that you might have in the portfolio you're planting this year, the biggest advantage we've got at the moment is the single traits, rootworm traits, are disappearing. The pyramids are being widely planted nowadays. Of course, cost issues with seed and production of corn have created a pendulum swing back towards reducing seed costs. And so where growers have been able to get a hold of single-trait seed, um, we've seen it embrace single-traits as well as uh, Roundup-ready only or above-ground traits only, and even conventional. And so we've got a lot more of the landscape which is being planted to corn with little or no resistance to BT resistance to corn rootworm. So Ken, one thing you just alluded to regarding current corn rootworm conditions in Minnesota and the BT resistance, you have been doing some monitoring for resistance in the state. Can you just give us a little more detail on how you're doing that and what you're finding so far? We're looking at a variety of fields. Some of them have had performance problems reported to us. Some of them are just fields with heavier corn rootworm pressure that we want to get a, a feel for how that population handles the various BT traits. Mm -hmm. So we'll go into the field put out a study with all available traits, and then we monitor what happens in terms of root injury, lodging, yield, and probably the most important thing is putting in cages that collect emerging corn rootworm beetles. So we get an idea of how effective 
the treatments are. In other words, how effective these trade and trade mm-hmm. combinations are. And the interesting thing in that, in those 10 years of study we've been doing, and especially since resistance really blossomed, is that corn rootworms populations, once they develop resistance, don't backslide and suddenly lose that resistance. In fact, no matter what the population level in the field, they're still maintaining resistance to these traits. So that means that when populations decline and the growers see the problem disappear, that they could fall into a trap of erroneously thinking we've managed our way out of this problem, that, you know, multiple traits or insecticides or Mother Nature have eliminated the issue and we don't have to deal with it going forward. And the sad thing is that all it will take is two or three years of favorable weather to build that corn rootworm population. And we could see resistance, performance-related resistance problems again. So one thing you're also saying is that really a comprehensive uh, approach is needed to continue to monitor populations and in any of these Midwest states to really look at where the populations are at. For example, just looking at root ratings for, uh, you know, in midsummer may not be enough. Just watching for lodging may not be enough. It sounds like looking at the adult activity at the end of the year is, is really a key. Bill, that point's very crucial. It's the one piece of information that's going to allow growers to decide what how they really need to manage that field. It will tell them if a issue is developing, um, and it will also potentially point them to what direction they need to head. For example, if they're in conventional corn populations are building up, it might be time to add an rootworm control to the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they've got BT traits in the field and they're seeing a population building, that could be the tip-off that there's a resistance issue looming uh, down the road. Scouting is critical. I know you may not have a specific number on this, but do you have any idea from what you've heard at winter meetings this year in some parts of the state? in terms of less, you know, what percentage of non-BT corn might be in the ground this year? Is that still up for speculation? Well, it's clear that there's been a a trend towards increasing use of corn without BT protection against rootworm. That varies a lot from area to area, grower to grower. Um, So I don't have a real good feel on an exact percentage. But what growers need to keep in mind is if they're in a pocket where either because of the amount of land they're controlling or that's going towards non-trait protection or their neighbors, that as that percentage of non-trait protection increases, creating a scenario where there's less check on the corn rootworm population and a chance for buildup to occur more easily. Two more questions about the the BT resistance issue, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, also curious about between the single event for corn rootworm 
versus some of the pyramided events. Has any of your research or results from other states shown that there's any evidence of cross resistance in western corn rootworm to one or more to two or more of the the BT proteins that are on the market? From the first year resistance showed up, our studies as well as those around the Midwest have shown that there's evidence of cross resistance. If a field develops for example, a problem with VT triple that it potentially have problems with two other proteins. Okay. Uh, the thing that those proteins have in common is they're all what we call CRI3 proteins. That means that uh, we've got, in one fell swoop, because of cross-resistance, we now have three of the four available traits could be having a problem in a field. And that creates a challenge when it comes to the pyramid, because every single pyramid has at least one and possibly two traits where we're seeing performance issues related to resistance. One final question I have about the corn rootworm complex in Minnesota, and given some of the dynamics you've already alluded to with 2013 being a tough year for western corn rootworm, and we know that Northern corn rootworms are still present in the state, with more corn being grown in northwestern Minnesota up in the valley. What's happening with northern corn rootworm right now? What have you seen in the last few years in terms of trends between the two species? Well, for about 10 years, northern corn rootworm populations have decreased dramatically. That decrease coincided with the rapid buildup of western corn rootworm populations as the westerns developed resistance to Bt traits. So the challenge that we had was just trying to answer the question, why in the world was northern corn rootworm populations declining? Because western corn rootworms aren't a threat, rotated corn. And as we were pondering that question about three years ago, crop consultants started to report an increase in west in northern corn rootworm presence. And in fact, in some areas, populations became big enough to start to raise concerns about whether or not northerns were developing resistance to BT as well. That's a question that's not been resolved at this point. Even though populations are generally low for corn rootworms in general in Minnesota right now, we encourage growers not to neglect their rotated corn. Look for evidence of northern corn rootworm population size and whether or not they're starting to see any buildup. We're uh, closing in on the end of our time here, Ken, but I wanted to just briefly have you comment just maybe a little bit about the management strategies that growers might be able to implement. And, and you can comment on when you think they're very successful or not, or, or whether it's in realm of possibility. And that is one is layering a corn, soil, rootworm, insecticide, a traditional one along with a BT, and then also any other management strategies. And some of those could include actually doing a little bit of scouting, whether it's be at albedo and or even digging up corn ruts later in the summer. But you want to comment briefly about the opportunity to put a soil rootworm insecticide along with a BT? Is that sustainable or is that a short-term strategy? 
In terms of corn rootworm management options, the one that still is kind of the bedrock is crop rotation. So where possible, we still encourage growers to use crop rotation. It's a way to manage building populations in fields by dropping them down dramatically. But as we look at, at traits, for example, of course, pyramids offer a more effective performance than single traits. The challenge right now is the operating budget growers have to work with, and that's where you see some growers making a choice to use either what remaining single-trait seed is out there or go to no trait at all. That reduction in Bt is a calculated risk. The reduction in Bt traits is a calculated risk. They're banking on low populations. Many of these growers have not scouted fields. They don't have a real good feeling for population intensity in the fields and whether or not they could potentially uh, get by with little or no protection. Of course, soil insecticides could be an option. The challenge there is um, many of these growers have literally gone away from soil insecticides in favor of seed-based technology. And just a quick follow-up, uh, going forward, even this summer or into the fall, for growers or consultants who would like to follow this more closely, get more information out of your research program, do you intend to have some new updated articles like in the Minnesota Crop News or other outlets? Well, shortly we'll be producing an updated version of Scouting for Corn Rootworms that will focus on research advances that have taken place in the last couple of years. I've had a graduate student, Trisha Leaf, finish up right. her research on uh, scouting with sticky traps, and that's allowed us to update thresholds to look at the different types of sticky traps and create thresholds for each different kind, as well as reduce by 33 to 50% the number of traps okay. or scouting okay. effort that's needed. So. We're at a point where we're looking at this scouting in the sense of how much data do we actually need to make these decisions. Right, right. And that'll be really useful going into the fall and winter as growers are making planting uh, decisions or making decisions about which hybrids to plant, how much BT, how much conventional, etc. And so it's, it's a, a tool to help us tailor rootworm management to where it's actually needed and can we dispense with some of these costs mm -hmm. um, so hopefully it'll help growers make a better decision about each individual field um, mm -hmm. and in the process uh, reduce pressure to develop resistance by the rootworms so all in all for corn rootworm management this year so far so good it looks like growers can be looking forward to a productive season, and it's good to hear that more and more growers have also gone back to crop rotation, I think, as a foundational tool in addressing both the pest in general, but is also uh, for the resistance management aspect. So with that, Ken, we will sign off for now and uh, hope to speak with you again about some other corn pests as the year develops. Thank you.